Thank you for listening to the Weekly Market Outlook. It is our pleasure to bring an industry-leading market analyst to provide you with the most value possible in your farm business. Please reach out anytime by emailing cbaron at agviewsolutions.com. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the AgView Pitch. We are heading into a new marketing week, the first full week of June, the 6th through the 10th. And we have with us today, Joe Vaklovic. Joe, how's it going? I'm good, Chris. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks uh, a lot for being here. You're uh, a great one to have on this week. Um, after last week's performance and um, a fair amount of market pressure, um, one of the things I'll say, and then I'll, I'll kind of phrase it as a question, but, you know, a lot of the planters in a lot of areas that weren't able to go did get a lot done. Um, I mean, there's probably always a pocket or two here and there that, that there's still a struggle. So it's frustrating if anybody ever says, well, the planning is done because it's never done, but it is uh, done enough for the market to feel comfortable. Uh, talk a little bit about what, what that means and, and, and what else is pressure in the market besides the uh, pace and where we're at and stuff. Um, so I think the market, generally speaking, and, and this is just an opinion, but I think the market is kind of trading as if, you know, in regard to corn in particular, uh, what will be planted has been planted uh, for the most part. Um, we don't need to buy acres or anything like that at this point. The acreage, the acreage battle is over. So like your new crop, you know, corn versus soybean spreads, they don't really mean a whole lot anymore. They've kind of done whatever job that that they were going to do i think uh by this point in time uh you've seen some liquidation in the corn market in particular uh large speculators or your big funds they've they've pulled quite a bit of length out um just over the last uh, month or so and i guess that has to do with uh, a couple of things i mean first off the, the crop has largely been planted and, and we know that there are problem areas up north and and there are still some slow places uh uh, elsewhere, but largely the crop's been planted. And uh, also this, I, I think this chatter about uh, Ukraine and the potential for exports out of those ports, I think it has caused a little bit of speculation. I know that that possibility is, is seems to be pretty slim that all of a sudden, you know, Russia is going to say, go ahead and export grain out of, out of these ports and we're going to make it easy for you. It seems, it seems like a slim possibility at this point, but I think even the possibility of it is enough to maybe push some speculative money to the sidelines. You've also got seasonals that kind of turn negative uh, around this time of year, give or take. And you can certainly have, you know, weather rallies into, you know, as, as late as, you know, mid-July or even later, depending on on the year. But um, for the moment, like a lot of your shorter term stuff has just uh, kind of soured, I guess, especially in regard to corn and maybe wheat also. Mm. Interesting. So you talked about seasonals touch on that for a minute you did uh i'm gonna put a plug in again for your uh, uh subscriber only videos that you do for your clients um me being one of them um last week you did a, an excellent video on the corn and some of the history of what you've seen and and kind of the probabilities one way or the other um uh from a seasonal perspective would you hit on that a little bit um so the the video you referenced, what I did was I, I tried to like kind of answer this question. So we've we've seen um, what a 70 cent, almost 80 cent sell off in December corn from the highs that were posted just what three weeks ago. So I, I guess the question that I tried to answer was like, 
okay, has there been, have there been years in the past where you saw a sell-off, say, uh, post-planting or right at the tail end of planting uh, of, of this magnitude or something along these lines, and then returned uh, to the highs or made new highs uh, during you know June, July, or August. And there is some precedent for that. There are a few years here and there where you've seen you know a nasty sell-off in May or, or in June, and then you'll come back and make highs in, in July or uh, even into August if you have a big-time crop problem. That's um, not a guarantee by any means. I mean, I think we have... Uh, to a significant degree shifted into a weather market. And the weather right now, I mean, quite frankly, and, and, and it could change by the time people listen to this, but the weather looks bearish to me in regard to uh, row crop markets. It looks good for production potential, but not good for the markets. I mean, we've got a wet forecast, we've got a cool forecast, and that's not just the next few days, that's even out to the extended time frame, which takes you out past the middle of June at this point. So I, I'd say at this point, the, the weather deal is like what really matters. And um, if you're going to get those new highs in, you know, later in June or 4th of July weekend or whatever, you're probably going to need some sort of, of crop scare deal to do it. And, and that doesn't mean that you have to, to end up with a below trend corn yield even. It just means that for a moment in time, you'd have to convince the market that you've got a threat. And for right now, I just, I don't see the threat. Well, and sometimes it's the difference between what the forecast is and then what actually happens too, right? Because your forecast could be one way. And then, like you said, over a long weekend or something, all of a sudden it, it's the opposite. And that, that's what will move things. Yeah. So there doesn't have to be any uh, crop problem at all in reality to uh, rally the market. What you need is just the perception of a possible crop problem. And, and I'm not trying to make any prediction right. or anything about the yield or the size of the crop or anything like that. Just as, as far as the market's concerned, and as far as like big speculators are concerned, uh, they will react if they view the forecast as being threatening, even, even if just for a, a minute, even if just for a couple of days. Um, there have been years where you'll see weather rallies that last like three days, but they can be really sharp. And, um, and you know, you could rally the corn market in a, in a deal like this, corn could rally 60, 70, 80 cents in, in two or three days if the right forecast shows up. But we don't have that forecast now. And I'm not, I'm not saying we're going to have trend yields or anything like that. I don't have any opinion on that this early, but uh, you just you don't have a forecast that is threatening uh, the way that uh, the market views it. At least that's the way I view it. Mm -hmm. So you um, talk a little bit also about the technical side. You know, you, this is kind of back to the seasonal thing, but you know, we've seen um, a fair amount of pressure, uh, just say these corn or I mean, even how we closed last Friday. Um, what what kind of ranges potentially from a technical standpoint could we see? I mean, how extreme could it get one way or the other if we um, do get bearish news or or bullish news? So say you um, just assume that you skate through the next six or seven weeks, you get out to mid July and you have no real weather problem. You're, you're generally, uh, you know, enough, enough precipitation across the corn belt, no big heat wave, nothing like that. I mean, I'd, I'd venture to say there's sizable downside for, um, you know, another two or three months, you know, your normal seasonal trend of course would be that you post some sort of high in May, June, maybe July, and then uh, August or, you know, the last half of July, August, uh, September can be really ugly months for the corn market. So, you know, at this point in, in the calendar year, um, if you're to assume that this is a normal year and it maybe it's not, but uh, in a normal year, you'd want to kind of 
have your bed made in regard to grain marketing? Like, uh, what do you like? Whatever you're going to have to deliver, you know, at harvest, you know, say before October or, or before November, um, you're going to want you're going to kind of want to know where you stand and have a lot of that either protected or priced or something like that. Because historically, I mean, if you don't get a weather deal here, uh, it could be uh, um, a long couple of months here in regard to the markets. I mean, you could very easily trend lower uh, through harvest. That would not be unprecedented at all. Now, there's a lot of other factors this year, like you've got this geopolitical stuff in Ukraine and Russia, which is not something that we have in a normal year. So if that situation were to escalate in, in some significant way, I mean, that could be very friendly to market and you could see some sort of contra-seasonal uh, rally. So the seasonal stuff, Chris, I mean, it doesn't, it, it works when it works. It, it doesn't always work. If it did, this would be easy. And we all know that this is not easy. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's, I, what's a downside target for corn? I mean, for decent corn, if, if the crop's really good, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, back in just the first part of March, decent corn was, you know, under six bucks. We were 577 at the low on uh, what, February 25th and just above that, you know, in early March. So, I mean, to take a rundown back below six or something, if, if weather's good and if, you know, you don't see some sort of geopolitical blow up, I, I wouldn't say that's outside of the realm of possibility. I think you could be even cheaper than that in the right uh, circumstances. Mm -hmm. What about soybeans? What would you see there? I always find soybean price action to be a lot more difficult to predict. Um, but the bean markets acted really well. Um, I pull, I'm looking at the December corn chart and it looks like it's kind of rolled over technically. Like it doesn't, doesn't look like this big, strong bull market anymore. It looks like we finally uh, uh, kind of done some damage there where the beans like still look really good. I know we had that reversal there um, last week and, and, you know, we posted a fresh high there on, um, was it Tuesday and then closed lower. But I mean, I look at a no bean chart, it still looks really friendly to me. It still looks like a bull market. Um, I think you're seeing some mean reversion in the spreads, like, uh, you know, following uh, the survey period in March, largely, you saw corn uh, kind of lead the way to the upside corn gained on beans. And I think it was kind of like a last ditch effort to, to buy acres back in corn, uh, because USDA told us that, you know, we're going to plant 89 and a half million acres of corn, which a lot of people would say is, is just not enough. So I think that the spreads did their job. And now they're kind of reverting back to the mean to some extent. And also the bean crop. I mean, we still got more beans to plant. Uh, it's a crop that's made later in the season, uh, in regard to weather and production and that sort of thing. So for the moment, the beans have acted uh, much better than the corn, but I mean, if corn's going to, if, 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 you know, the right circumstance plays out and weather's good and you don't have a geopolitical blow up and maybe tensions go in the right direction. I mean, beans are not going to be immune to some sort of sell-off either. And that's not me saying I'm bearish. I'm just saying if the right things happen, if weather cooperates, you don't have a big, a big um, you know, something escalate in, in Ukraine or Russia or elsewhere. Um, yeah, I mean, you've got downside risk here, certainly. There's no doubt about that. So talk a little bit about, you know, you talked one comment you made that I really like because it's, it's a management thing and it ties into margin management and stuff, but it's, it's the uh, idea of having the bushels sold that you don't have a home for. And yeah. I, what I want to ask you, and let's start with soybeans because soybeans is in that boat for a lot of producers or at least a segment of the soybeans. And then for a lot of producers, it's the entire crop. It's their cash crop. It's what they harvest typically and have for a lot of years off the combine. It goes to town. 
Um, if you're making a bunch of those sales, you know, we can talk volumes and that and everything, but my question really goes back to the basis. So if you're making those sales, talk a little bit about some best management practices on, on managing that basis, because sometimes that's the, you know, if you're going to be harvesting really early, um, you're probably better off not to set basis conversely, if it's, uh, you know, a little, you know, if it's going to be right in the middle of the, of the season, you got to be a little more careful. Talk a little bit about basis management from your perspective. Um, I don't, this is probably not a popular opinion, but I don't get too worked up about basis when beans are $15 and corn's $7. Like I'm not, I'm not overly interested in like trying to nickel and dime these markets when the prices mm-hmm. are, are this good and the profitability is this good. Like, you know, to, to try to hold out for an extra nickel or 10 cents in basis in this sort of market is, is not the same as it is in a three and a half, $4 corn market or a, a $9 soybean market. It's just, it's a much smaller percentage of uh, your total bushel. It's a much smaller percentage of, of your total, uh, you know, profit margin or things like that. So um, uh, I would be in favor of um, like, Rather than if it's delivery bushels that you've got to deliver at harvest, um, I'd be a fan of having cash contracts almost more so than HTAs if your basis is good and basis is good in a lot of areas uh, for new crop. And I don't have any prediction about what basis is going to do. I just like to know where I stand. Um, the The situation that happened back in uh, early March following the uh, the initial invasion when the, the nearby spreads blew up and the basis went to hell or the uh, uh, buyer stopped bidding off of those spot contracts there for a few weeks. That really scares me. Like that's, that's a scary situation. What if you're somebody that has HTAs and you're on a timeline and you have, uh, you know, trucks that need to move and you just don't have a home for the grain, like you said, and, and that happens again. Um, that's, that's really scary to me. And that's probably a very low probability scenario. I understand that, but um, I just think that I'm, I'm like not overly interested in holding out for another, uh, you know, nickel or diamond in basis appreciation, especially, especially, especially if basis is good already, uh, the board's already good. I mean, like, what are we waiting for here on these, uh, delivery bushels? And I'm not saying you got to go sell them, but I like having that stuff at least, at least protected in, in some way, shape or form. Uh, some people like options, some people hate options, you know, just however you need to do it is, is fine. But I feel like, you know, at this stage in the game, given what we know about seasonals and the seasonal stuff is, is really obvious that, you know, there's, there's a probability at least that, uh, you got a few ugly months ahead of you. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we talked a little bit about weather earlier too, how much, um, is there any, is there any weather risk in there right now? Do you think at all in any, in any of the markets or on any of the grains or, or is that pretty much out of the equation and just waiting for something to happen? I meant to ask that earlier and I forgot. Um, that's just, it's a total opinion question, just like a lot of this, of course, when it comes to markets, but yeah, I think there's still plenty of weather premium in here. I mean, if we, if we knew that the corn yield nationally was going to be 180, where would the board be? Um, we'd be cheaper. I would be my guess. So I, and, and we still don't know the acres either. I mean, there's a lot of variables here, but yeah, I still think there's, I still think there's weather premium. I still think there's acreage premium because, you know, we don't get our next, um, uh, look at the acreage numbers until June 30th. So we're kind of left in the dark. And we all know that to some degree, those uh, March intentions were wrong uh, for so many different reasons. I mean, the spreads moved drastically after that survey period. 
We know the survey responses are low. We know that report is just not uh, historically extremely accurate to begin with. So I think we've still got acreage premium. I still think we've got weather premium. I mean, you can't say with any degree of certainty what the yield's going to be here in, in early June. We've got to get through uh, you know, this month and, and most of July, really, till you can start to get a feel for that. Um, so yeah, I, I still think there's a lot of uh, just call it general production premium, like size of the crop type premium, uh, not only weather, but also I think acres still at this point. Mm -hmm. um, another question, I probably am bouncing around here, but I thought of another thing too. You just kind of looking at um, when we were talking about the basis and knowing what you need to deliver, whether no matter what the crop is, what you can store, what you can't. Um, when you look, there's really no carry in anything, or I'm just looking and correct me if I'm wrong here, but what's the incentive? I mean, what's it going to take? What would it take so that it, it paid to have stuff put away? Because when you look, you know, talk a little bit about that. I just don't see anything there that's incentivizing to hang on to stuff beyond too much beyond harvest. Yeah, right now there is not. And I haven't looked at uh, the cash markets admittedly out to like March or May of, of next year. The board gives you what there, there is a nickel a carry from uh, say DS 22 wow. to March to March 23. Um, yeah. As I look at it now, there's maybe, there's maybe five cents or six cents on corn. So in any given year, I, I send out like tell my customers, I send out carry targets and I'll say, this is where you should look to roll your, your DCHTAs to March. This is where you should look to roll into May. This is where you should look to roll into July. Uh, you may get that opportunity this year. There, there may be an opportunity to capture carry, uh, you know, typically of course, uh, in like normal markets where we've got a, a comfortable or mostly comfortable supply and demand situation, they'll give you that chance to capture carry. Uh, it may not happen this year. I mean, if we end up with, um, if we end up with a lighter crop, or the demand remains really strong despite high prices or whatever, they don't have to offer you carry. Um, and and it, it is a tricky question because people, you know, guys spend all these money on all this money on bins and they want to use them, right? Uh, it's not always the best, it's not always best practice. I mean, it's a tool and, and it's not the tool for every single year. So um, I guess we'll kind of get to that. We'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there because uh, things may look a whole heck of a lot different by the time harvest rolls around in regard to those spreads. But for right now, I mean, no, there's not going to be a ton of incentive uh, to like, you know, put corn in the bin and wait because the, the markets may not offer much carry or any carry at all. Well, especially on soybeans, too. I mean, there's like three cents there. And in, in the last, I don't know how many years, I don't, and maybe there's been an exception to that. You know better than me, but it just it doesn't make sense to put any beans in a bin if you can put corn in the bin. Typically, there's more carry opportunity there. Plus, um, you know, on the cash side of things, from a revenue, cash flow, paying rents, all that kind of stuff, it's a it's a better crop to get the cash in on, typically than than the corn is. Um, it's a tricky and, situation, uh, though. So it's it's not it's not as simple as it sounds because uh, so if you get to harvest and there's no carry in the market, there's 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 no carry. Say, let's just assume there's no carry in the futures. There's no carry in the cash. Um, so the, the market's saying, give me your grain right now. Right. Right. That's just a, that's a spread decision. Like that's a, it's, it's True. a spread decision, but it doesn't mean that the, that, that the flat price can't rally. Yeah. Like I right. remember the, the end of 2020, like harvest 2020, you know, the yeah. soybean market was still in the nines or tens and it was inverted and there was no incentive uh, to carry beans yet putting your beans in the bin and doing nothing would have actually been the best decision because 
they did nothing but rally past that and they were two or three dollars higher you know by spring so just because there's no carry uh doesn't necessarily mean that like putting beans in the bin is the wrong decision i know that's it sounds kind of backwards but it's well, it's not it's not as simple as like um just putting it in the bin and or not putting it in the bin because there's always that flat price implication which in markets like this with this sort of volatility the flat price is a bigger deal than the spreads yeah and then the you get into, and then you get in the conversation of okay well maybe i can um maybe i can sell the cash and, and deliver it since there's no carry and then maybe i'll reown the the cheaper contracts on paper and we know that trading paper or trading futures or options is it can be messy a lot messier perhaps than uh just holding grain so it's it's uh it's not an easy decision in in any year i mean they make it easier i guess when there's carry and you know what to do you just you look for those targets but when those targets aren't there and you're in a bull market it actually makes those decisions trickier i think mm -hmm. i i am one of those guys though that and i'm not a big fan of, of futures uh however in that situation it's really there's not much difference if you've harvested the crop and you know exactly how many bushels and you buy a percentage of them back and use that bent space for corn and you own it, own those beans on paper, there's really not that much difference though, is there between having it on paper and having them in the bin other than you don't have to shovel them. So if you're, um, if you're a guy who uh, understands all of that, then fine. That's great. If you're cool with paying margin calls and stuff when the market goes against you. But a lot, a lot of people, I would say most people are not, most people don't want to do that. Um, and it can get messy. I mean, in a market like this, uh, yeah. you know, reowning the board at, at harvest, if, if say we're still at six bucks, what's to say that the thing couldn't go $2 against you? How do you manage that board position? Um, yeah. It can be a messy, messy deal. I am well, typically uh, in, in the vast majority of situations, I'm not a big advocate of, of re-ownership. I just, I hate looking back at past sales and chasing past sales. But I mean, if you're somebody who's, who's more uh, advanced in regard to your marketing, you understand uh, the mechanics of all this, then yeah, that's fine. I mean, it's essentially the, the, a very similar position in terms of your business, but uh, floating the margin requirements and all that can be uh, very messy. Yeah. Well, one, one good rule that I like to see that we look at with profit managers, if you have a 10% ROI, your profit margin is 10%, then you really got to ask yourself, why would you reown anything? Right. And, and for and most guys in a year like this, it's going to be better than probably going to be quite a bit better than that. Then it probably wouldn't to your point. However, on the other side, if you, you know, there was a bunch of years from 13 through 19 that it was maybe one or two or four or whatever, and you were trying to capture a little bit more and then you would set yourself up. So if it was going to go lower, you'd stop yourself out or whatever, and you might give up a percent or two to, to take a little risk to open up the top side. But, you know, but like you said, it's, it's an individual thing. Cause some, some guys you can explain that to, and you can manage it and you can do it. And, and like I said, and some people are like, no, thanks. I'll take, I just, I personally, in, in my experience, one of the things I hate, hate, hate seeing like the most is when a farmer loses money being long the board. Like it just, <laughs> yeah, we're already long. So. It never, it never like adds up in my head. Like I under, I understand the the mathematics of it and how it looks on a spreadsheet and everything. And I made these sales for this reason. Now I'm reowning them for this reason. I mean, I've said before, like, you know, what other business in the world takes their profitable 
transactions and then tries to like go back and retrace them. I mean, they always look forward to the next year, to the next transaction. Like it's right. not, it's not, I, I just also feel like I could talk about this for, for hours, but I mean, I feel like it's not a re-ownership in general. It's just not a healthy mental practice. Like the fact that you're trying to look at, at what you still have to price yet at the same time, you're looking back at, at what you've already priced and trying to manage that. It's a lot, it's a lot to manage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, when the price comes back down, it makes you feel better on those earlier sales too, right? Yeah. And and everybody's going to have that in years like this. I mean, well, maybe not everybody, but um, I know I certainly have advised early sales. I'm not afraid to admit that in in this sort of deal. And, um, you know, you may feel better about them, but I I think um, like best practice, which in, 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 in theory would, this is great, but in practice, it's impossible. Best practice would be like to just forget every sale that you've ever made and just only look forward. And we know that that's impossible, but I, I try to do that and it's, it's, uh, it's tough to do. Mm -hmm. Well, what we, we try to do is just look at the average, you know, it doesn't matter where you started or where you ended as much as where, you know, where are you at with regard right. to, to that margin target that you have? And if you're accomplishing that, that's really the goal. And, and it, you know, I think too often we get, there, there's so much noise, there's so much media and there's so much uh, crap out there. And I think that's why it's important that we talk about the emotional side of it here for a second, because, you know, you can get so distracted away from your own stuff because your deal is what's important. It's not who cares what, 15 other people are doing, um, look at your deal, look at your margin and, and let that dictate your decision-making. You know, what's interesting about, um, grain marketing is like what you, what you see or what you hear from other people about grain marketing, you might see it on the internet or you might hear it in the coffee shop or whatever. Uh, it's kind of like, it's kind of like social media. Like you're going to hear from other people, like the highlights of their grain marketing, Whereas like, you know, you log on to Facebook, you're going to see the highlights of, of a person's life. You're only going to hear about the good things. Like you don't hear about the bad stuff. Just like when you go on Facebook, you don't hear about like the bad stuff that, that has, that somebody has going on or like the, the low lights, you only see the highlights, you see the highlight reel. And that's like what you see when you, uh, when you're compare when you you think you're comparing yourself to other people, when in reality, you're comparing yourself to other people's highlights. It can be a bad, like to, to like even, even notice what anybody else is doing is, is probably also a poor mental practice because mm-hmm. it's probably false anyways. Yeah. Oh, that's just it. And the social media and, and the general media have really screwed with people's brains. So, um, anything, anything on the market front, you know, we talked weather, seasonals, technical stuff, the, the war in Ukraine, Anything out there that is a big watch out? I mean, and we can hit on the USDA report that's um, Friday um, here this week. Uh, any any comments on any of that stuff? Um, generally speaking, I mean, everybody and their brothers talking about recession, right? Mm-hmm. Um, are we headed to a recession? Um, we may be. And, rec- and when they talk about we're headed into a recession, I mean, I think most people are just talking like, the textbook definition of recession, which is, you know, two consecutive quarters of negative growth or whatever. And we, we may get to that. Um, I, I do worry about these higher interest rates. I worry about high fuel prices and their effect on the economy. And like I've said before, I, I think there is a, a tipping point. I don't think we're there yet, but I think there's a tipping point where if uh, things like uh, the stock market get bad enough that there could just be a, a total risk off event where nobody wants to be long anything. 
And maybe that's not, maybe that's way off base. It's just, it's what I remember from 2008. And I know a lot of people have made that analogy, but this time might be different. This might be closer to like, I don't know if there is a good analogy for it. Um, some people would say maybe it's like the seventies, but in the seventies, we already had really high interest rates. Um, you know, when, when a lot of this inflation started like much higher than what we have now. So it's kind of a unprecedented situation, but I, I do worry that if, if like, and I, I'm actually not bearish the economy, I think we're going to be just fine. But if, if you were to get into a situation where, you know, gas is $7 this summer and people just stop doing stuff and stock market loses another 15, 20%, I mean, there's going to be a situation where it's just risk off everything. I think that that's at least a, a possibility that you've got to entertain. And that's kind of scary in an environment where, uh, these large speculators are still really heavy long the corn market and the soybean market. Those positions have come down a little bit, but um, that that bot, it, it's just one thing to be aware of, I guess. That that's a possibility. It's not a prediction uh, by any means. And, and you could have an opposite scenario where um, crude oil just continues to run up and corn decides to follow along. I mean, and this commodity bull market continues and maybe equities are under pressure for a little bit. I mean, that's a scenario too. Um, commodities is a good inflation trade. So if the inflation doesn't go away, maybe, maybe the large money managers do stick around. There's a lot, there's a lot of variables there. If, well, the re so a recession, let, let's say that we do get into a quote unquote recession um, or worse, and it starts to get, you know, not, not very good. What about the energy prices with that? I mean, what, what typically would you expect to see there? Would that be, you know, would that put the, that energy price, you know, your oil price and all that stuff under pressure too then? Um, so I think I'm not an uh, energy expert by any means, but I think that oil has got to go or gasoline prices maybe have to get to a level where um, it really reduces driving habits. And we haven't got there yet. Yeah, you need um, the demand destruction. Yes, and you're not there yet. Um, and a lot of this is there. There's so many problems. We've lost refining capacity. Uh, it's a better deal for oil companies to ship crude overseas where it's more profitable, uh, and and rather than refining it in the U.S., our stocks are real low. Um, but you look at the gasoline demand numbers, and gasoline demand last week I think was only down like two percent versus the same week the prior year. That's not demand destruction. I mean, not not in a, in a material fashion. And it was actually up 2% versus even the prior week. So we've got gasoline prices that were, I think we're recording here on uh, what Saturday morning, they were up just a, a nickel, uh, just overnight uh, national average into new highs again. So, I mean, I think you may have to get to a gas price nationally that that does in fact restrict driving, which is very tricky to do. Like, I don't even know that we saw a whole lot of that in, in 2008. And remember, oil got to 147 in 2008, but gas was never as high as it is right now. So I, you may need to get you may need to get to a level that really restricts usage. And I just I don't think to this point we're there. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, this is this whole uh, economic uh, conundrum or whatever we're in is going to be interesting. And have you heard anything? You work with a lot of producers on the you know land markets have been crazy. It's one of the questions I get a lot. I was in Michigan uh, last week here and um, it's just interesting when you go from one area to another, the prices are different. They're relative to the given areas, but they're extremely high, essentially everywhere Yeah, uh, relative to a given area. What are you hearing there? Um, 
I mean, I think that, you know, the, the obvious answer to that that most people would give is, you know, these higher interest rates, they're going to have some sort of impact on, you know, real estate values, land values, whatever. I just, I don't know to what extent. I, I, I really don't. I mean, you know, like I do that first off, you know, a lot of farmers who buy additional land, they're averaging in to, you know, prior purchases that at much lower levels. Um, so they've got a ton of, you know, positive equity. There's also outside money that is uh, looking for a home that would love to own a bunch of farmland. I mean, uh, you know, old Bill Gates would probably like to buy a few um, quarters from you if you have it. But um, I don't know. I, I feel like I don't think I just think the demand's really good. I think the demand for it is really good. They're not, you know, they're not to sound like a broken record. I mean, they're not making any more of it, you know, in this yeah. prime farm ground, you know, in your part of the world or in, in Illinois or Minnesota or wherever. I mean, it's I just it's pretty sticky, Chris. I don't. I don't, I don't know that I see any big, um, any big collapse. I mean, a lot of the, uh, a lot of the debt that's out there has been refinanced at very, very low levels, uh, for the long haul. And uh, I think that's, it's going to make it sticky. I, I think real estate's that way too. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I, that I would concur with all of that. It just, it's interesting on the land side of things, because if you go back to 2008, when everything crashed of all of the assets that that uh we're under pressure land probably you know land was for a period of time as well but less to a, a much lesser degree than all the other uh sectors and so land kind of continues to be one of those um pretty safe places i think to to oh gosh uh, i mean it seems like everybody that i talk to i mean most farmers i mean it's like they, they would all jump on that that prime piece of property that's adjacent to where they farm or whatever mm -hmm. um in in a lot of situations right now and Maybe these rates are a deterrent to some extent, but gosh, there's just a lot of money out there. Again, all the old debt's been refied and, and it's locked up at, you know, 3% or whatever for 30 years. I mean, I still think that uh, financially there's there's just some very strong hands out there and uh, it, it doesn't, doesn't appear to me like there's going to be a ton of weakness there. Mm -hmm. My last question, and it does tie back to that interest rate, you know, if you throw your crystal ball out there, um, how high do you think this uh, this Fed would is willing to take the interest rates? Any guess? I don't have a guess, um, but you know you've heard different talk from different members of the Fed. You know there has been uh, some talk among Fed members that they need to get to what they'd call like a restrictive rate, where they're trying to just get back to a neutral rate right now. And keep in mind that they they've raised rates from zero to like one percent. I mean we're not even at one percent. They they're they're still super low. Like the market, the markets and everything from the stock market to your longer term rate markets to everything else on the planet, they've already discounted the idea that the Fed's going to be two and a half or three percent, um, you know, by the end of this year, I think, or by the end of next year. Uh, they've, they've already discounted the fact that we're going to get to a neutral rate. And then the question becomes, do you get to a, uh, a restrictive rate uh, where they take their Fed fund rate to, you know, three and a half, four or five, six percent? A lot of people think that's impossible. A lot of some people think it is possible. Um, they're they're very much actively trying to uh, tame inflation here. It's just that you know as high as if they're going to raise rates another half point this month and a half point in July, then they're off for August. I mean, does that do anything to bring down gasoline prices? Probably not. Um, they just they have limited they have limited tools to work with. So I don't know. I I that's it's a big wild card and. Uh, you know, I, some people would look to the eighties and say, you know, that's your, uh, your roadmap. I, I don't know if it's the same thing. I mean, we've got so much government debt 
and so many different factors now. It's just, I, it's, it's a very difficult question and, and it's unprecedented and nobody has, the, nobody has the answer to it. And you're really talking about just the decisions of a handful of people. Yeah. And it probably slows down if the economy, you know, there'll, there'll be, there'll be adjusting things as the, as everything else flows. So yeah, hey, I mean, Joe, most, of it, most of it comes back to inflation. If inflation starts to be reduced right. then they're not going to have to raise rates a whole lot more. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. And then you got all the supply chain issues and all that stuff that's going to on the sidelines going to be affecting all that stuff, too. You know, it's one thing to have the money for something. It's another thing to not be able to get it, too. Yeah. And they can't fix supply chain issues either. Right. Right. So. All right. Well, hey, Joe, this was an excellent conversation. If people want to um, listen, they're not already listening to you. They need to be um, talk about uh, real quick where you're uh, where they find you and where they they see your stuff especially on youtube is really good yeah just check out the podcast or the youtube channel um so every every business day like monday through friday i very rarely miss one um i upload a podcast episode about 6 a.m central and a youtube video about 6 a.m central it's the same content it's just a matter of do you want to watch it or listen to it in the truck or whatever but i basically i run through kind of like the headlines and then I'll give a brief kind of commentary what my opinion is on that particular headline. I don't really bark out too much in terms of like opinion or anything like that. It's I, I try to keep it more of a, kind of an objective look at, at what's going on is what I try to do with a little bit of opinion mixed in. But I don't know it's become real popular. I've been doing it for I've been doing it in, in the official form of like a podcast for I think going on two and a half years now, maybe. And I don't know, it's gained a lot of traction. People seem to like it. So it's, it's updated every day. Uh, it's called grain markets and other stuff. It's on, you know, Apple podcasts and Spotify and Google and on YouTube and everything. Yeah. And then also your subscriber only videos, I think are awesome too. So if you're not listening to, to those also, that's something, what, 50 bucks a month, right? Yeah. And I talk about that stuff in the, uh, in the podcast every day. So if, if you haven't heard anything from me and you're interested, I mean, check out the podcast, it's totally free. And then if, if you think you want to get more involved, that's fine, but, um, yeah, give it a shot. Awesome. Joe, thank you very much. Really appreciate your time today. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Chris. You bet. And thanks everybody for listening. And we will catch you again next time on the Ag View Pitch. Mm-hmm.